It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Greetings and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, and anywhere across the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and just type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM. And uh, also, if you like our programming, if you think someone outside of our listening area would like to listen in or catch one of our interviews, we do post them on our uh, SoundCloud and uh, also on our website. Uh, it takes a day or two to get up there, but they are up there. You can go back and uh, listen at your leisure if you miss part of it. And as I say, let uh, someone know outside of our listening area that they can listen in anytime they would like. I'd like to welcome my first guest to the show today, Samantha Brown. She's an actress, and she's in a, uh, a play called Oil, and uh, it's going to be running from... It runs until the 21st. Run, runs until the 21st, thank you. It's a play that sounds quite interesting from the sound of things. Uh, Samantha is actually playing the part of, uh, of a daughter in this play with her, her mother. Uh, her mother, if I have the name correct, Bahara Yaharji? Bahare. Bahare, thank you. And uh, it spans over 200 years, and it, it plays on a lot of things, including history. It starts post-industrial, and it goes to post-apocalyptic uh, times. Uh, Samantha, sounds like a really cool play, so congratulations on getting a role in that. Thank you. And, and, and thanks for being here. It's great to have you here. Of course. Thanks for having me. So tell us more, please. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, Rise and Fall of Empire is what um, we're looking at with oil. At the heart of it, though, it's about a mother-daughter relationship um, and that kind of um, turmoil, but also the love that is underneath and, um, and, and what happens between two women and a single mother raising her daughter in an era where she is told to be everything that she can be and to um, excel. So it, it talks about like feminism. It also um, talks about exploitation um, and exploitation of resources. Um, and yeah. Oh, I think I'm seeing a theme here now. Mm. The exploitation of women and the exploitation of Mother Earth and those kind of things. Yes. Cool. So um, that's very interesting. But the other thing that's throwing me here, of course, is that it seems that you guys also have uh, a, a, a longevity of life because it spans a couple hundred it years. It does, yes. So um, how that actually works is uh, it's almost like pocket universes. Um, mm. So it's um, theatrical elements where uh, it's taking us through the trajectory of the oil empire mm. and then ultimately the demise of the oil empire. And it's the it follows these two women's journeys, but they're in pocket universes. Um, so it's not technically the exact same women, although it seems that it's like a blood memory or like a recall of um, past lives. Right. Okay. So for those people, if you're listening and you're going, this sounds pretty cool. I'll give you a little bit more uh, information. So as, as Samantha was just saying, and she plays uh, the part of Amy in the play, uh, that uh, through a swirling collision of empire, history, and family, an epic five-part, two-act play spanning 200 years, and explosive play leaping from the dawn of the industrial age to futuristic post-petroleum world and beyond, covering important topics that Samantha just mentioned, history, 
environmental issues and mother-daughter relations. That rolls a whole lot of things in there uh, for sure. And uh, this is not the first time the play has been mounted, is it? Uh, in Canada, it is. In Canada, yes. it is. This is the Canadian premiere. It is a UK play, right. uh, and it premiered in 2016. Right. Now, of course, it seems very timely. It is. <laughs> now, when you first saw the script, uh, what uh, I guess you were enticed by it, obviously, but what really drew you to it? Uh, what really drew me to the script was, at the heart of it, the relationship between the mother and daughter. I was raised by a single mother, um, and so that relationship really uh, stood out to me. And then, you know, you start to think about um, the effects also of having an Indigenous woman playing the role of the daughter who is being um, exploited mm -hmm. by her mother and and uh, molded into a kind of um, loveless human, um, which it, it's very interesting just, be, just because she loves her so much that she actually ends up smothering her. Um, so that it really drew me into um, how, how we treat the earth and how we treat resources. And we seemingly love some of the things that we do, but we, we often um, use them to their deplete. Mm. Uh, now, when you say smothered her, uh, you're, you're speaking metaphorically. Metaphorically. Like she, 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 <laughs> she loves her so much mm -hmm. that she's protecting her so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, I think, a common thing that, people tend to do because fear steps in I think uh, they want to make sure they they try to provide uh, for their their offspring as best they can but in doing so they're blinded by what in fact they're doing and overprotecting is actually maybe worse than li letting a child go out and, and explore and and do these things so they can find out on their own yeah Ah, sounds really fascinating. So it's a two-act play. Mm -hmm. uh, can you take us a little bit through the first and second act then? Um, so the first act, it, it starts off with a, a very small time leap. Um, and there there's a quote throughout the play that's, um, did you ever think that you were born at exactly the right time that you got to see the right bit? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that follows throughout the entire thing where May is leaping to try and find the right time period to actually mm. exist in. So she starts by leaping, I think, 10 years, and then she goes all the way into the 70s in the first act. Mm. And then we fast forward crazy into um, act two with uh, 2025 and then all the way to uh, 2051, I believe it is. Mm. So like we just fast track and right. it speeds into the future. Right. And... Um is it just is it is it only the two of you that are on stage? No, uh, so there is a company of I believe nine actors, okay. um, and they all come back um, in different forms yeah. throughout, um, keeping mostly like their same names. So we have like uh, Tom, Thomas, uh, and I think he plays another Tom again, um, and then we have also um, Sam Samuel and our uh, Courtney. He also plays Nate as well. Um, and then we have uh, Shadi, who who plays uh, Amina, Anna, and Anne. Um, and we also have Nabil, who plays uh, uh, Whitcomb and uh, Mr. Farouk. So they, they play echoes of each other. And there's also Lily, mm. who also plays uh, Fan and then uh, Fanny as well. Um, 
and and Cyrus's character Joss stays um, throughout the entirety, and Moss Singer, uh, played by Deb, she is almost um, an echo of uh, old uh, old resources. So she's an echo of the uh, fall and decline of the coal empire. Mm. I think I covered everyone. <laughs> of course, the other big part of, of any play uh, is not just the people on stage; it's the people backstage, sets, lighting, yes. sound. Um, what does how does the how does how does the set help uh, roll us through this and, and give us that sense of absolutely? Um, so Jackie did the set and the costumes. So she, what she did with um, props and costumes uh, for the the first part she started with wood and then she went into fabric then she went into plastic and then metal and then uh the last one is just a collaboration of all of the elements all Mm. together it's almost like a a hoarding type situation um so at the end we're just we're, we're stuck with holding on to everything that we've accumulated over the years um and uh the set Stays stays about the same, but the projections, um, they're what really um, shape the world. And um, Melissa Jokum did the projections. And Maddie Bautista, she did the soundscape, which really helps to inform um, what's actually occurring throughout. And it gives like a sense of um, time and place and um, and a feeling of memory as well. She She really taps into that with her soundscape. Uh, and of course, you just mentioned projections. That's something that's yeah. become more and more prominent over time and really helps, I guess, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Makes things somewhat easier uh, without having to sometimes build massive sets to get the same uh, point across and those kind of things. I guess what I, what I wanted to say, though, is how you as an actor in this role now comes away from playing this part, seeing the play. How has that affected you on a personal level? I don't think I'm there yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still within the world of the play right now, mm-hmm. and I'm still uh, discovering things and diving a little bit deeper into Amy's reality, and I'm still figuring things out. So talk to me in maybe a month. All right. <laughs> we'll maybe have you back on for that. Sounds good. Yeah. Or maybe we'll catch up with you in one of the other productions you'll be doing because, yeah. of, of course, you have done other other things, and uh, you, you most recently appeared in uh, Soul Pepper's uh, production of August. Yes, I did. And uh, you've performed in other Indigenous productions, uh, Buddies and Bad Times, uh, and Native Earth uh, Ipperwash yes. as well. So uh, some similarities. So um, wh- where's your home community? Where, where are you? I'm from Onaping, which is north of Sudbury. Okay. Um, and my family lineage comes from Thunder Bay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, always nice to uh, to have Indigenous uh, people on the show and uh, hear what they're doing and hear what's going on in, in the Indigenous world. And, um, you know, I, as you were mentioning, it was that you, you, you are you are of Indigenous heritage and to play the role that you are as Amy in this in this uh, this uh, play of oil. It kind of brings that in it. And you have that tie in, as you say, you were raised by a single mom. Mm-hmm. And as you were describing this play. You revealed, of course, to us how this really does have a lot in common with kind of the turmoil of the, of the world that we're seeing right now. We, we are kind of uh, coming to the end of the oil age, whether we like it or not. A lot of people, of course, don't like that yeah. and can't and don't want to see the writing on the wall, which is kind of there and, and lashing out at, at different things, uh, trying to point the finger at other people instead of just uh, getting get, sort of getting on with it. So... 
what do you think uh, the overall feeling is that people come away with after seeing this? Um, well, I hope that it's a call to action. Mm. Um, I hope that people are affected. Um, we also, uh, a dollar from each ticket sold goes towards the Wet'suwet'en mm. um, Legal Fund. Oh, yeah. So anytime you buy a ticket, a dollar goes to that. Um, and also we have projections at the end of each show to show what people can do mm. in order to um, stop the injustice that's happening currently in Canada. Um, so hopefully people resonate with this story, even though it's a UK piece. Um, it all is also happening in Canada, and ca- Canada is not without um, its fault in the oil industry as well. Yeah, for sure. That's that's very true. So it runs until March 21st, uh, as you mentioned. The tickets are from 20 to $30. Uh, they run, it's run to Tuesday to Saturday at 7.30 p.m., and Sunday there's a matinee at 2 in the afternoon as well. And what is the theater? So Geary Lane, yep. it's an old um, warehouse that yep. has been turned into an event hall yep. that we are using as a um, space to perform theater. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and it's it's in between uh, Davenport and DuPont, and it's uh, east of Lansdowne, west of Dufferin. Okay. Uh, is there anything like a Q&A afterwards for audience uh, There members? will be on yeah. the 13th. Okay. Um, so once again, this is uh, the play is called Oil, as mentioned by Samantha. It's, uh, it follows the mother and daughter, uh, May and Amy, through 200 years uh, of, of history. It sounds very interesting, very timely. And uh, you can get tickets, I'm guessing, online at arcstage.com. Uh, Samantha is going to uh, be in that play. You'll see her there. Samantha, it's been great having you here. I really appreciate you taking yeah, the time thank to you. come in and, and tell us about the play and wish you all the best uh, both in this and in future uh, roles. Thank you so much. It's been our pleasure. And uh, we're going to be right back here on Moment of Truth. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto. That is 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, and of course, anywhere across the country, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM. And I'd like to welcome my next guest to the show. It is Dan Kershaw. He's the executive director of the Furniture Bank. The Furniture Bank. Interesting name. Uh, you might be thinking you can take your furniture to the bank and get cash for it. Mm, mm. That's not the way this works. No, no, no. But Dan is going to tell us all about Dan. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thanks, David. <laughs> no, most people have heard of food banks. And mm-hmm. We understand what, how that works. Right. When we have surplus food, yep. um, we give it. Sure. And then, then the, uh, the local charities redistribute it to families who need it. Uh, and that's how the furniture bank came to be about 22 years ago. Sister Anne... Uh, Shank from the Sisters of St. Joseph, uh, working with refugee families, were finding that, you know, we have a housing crisis. We had a housing crisis back then, and it's only worse now. Mm-hmm. And people are using what limited funds they have mm-hmm. to get that apartment. Mm-hmm. And the reality that we're finding in ever greater numbers is that having a place to stay is great. Mm-hmm. But having children sleep on floors and use garbage bags as your, how you keep things. That, that is a reality we have in every city. Uh, so Furniture Bank uh, set about to change that, that there's lots of sofas 
and dining room tables and housewares and everything that you would put in a home that we no longer use. And the furniture bank will take them. And uh, today, uh, in about 72 hours, we will pass those gifts on to families uh, from referring agencies from across the city. So we're seeing currently every day we have 20 family appointments and we need all of the possessions one would need if you're starting from scratch. Oh. Started 20 years ago or so? Yes. Is this local to the Toronto, Ontario area or is this a national-wide? So the organization that I represent, uh, we're based here in the GTA, Mm -hmm. but we're also part of a larger network Mm -hmm. uh, we call the Furniture Bank Network, Mm -hmm. which is um, your listeners in Ottawa. There's a two small furniture banks in Ottawa who do have very similar missions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the idea of an organization that is you know, re- passing on the goods uh, that f- assemble a home free of charge to the families who need them is what a furniture bank is. We're the largest in Canada, one of the largest in North America. We serve just shy of 4,000 families every year. For your listeners, that translates into 10 trucks worth of staff that are driving around the city collecting and delivering furniture five days a week uh, all year long. When you say the GTA, what, what is the extent of the area? Predominantly, it's in, in concentrated in Toronto, but uh, for our donors, mm. uh, who there's one of mm. two ways that people can get us furniture. Uh, that's really, we'll drive anywhere within the GTA footprint. And for the families that we're supporting, it is really every uh, ward that we have in Toronto, mm. um, Scarborough, York Region, uh, and uh, west into mm. Peel. How, how familiar or how surprising, I guess is the question I'm wondering about, when you discuss this with people, uh, how surprised are they to find out about the need and, and some of that information oh, you, you just shared it, about people living and, and using garbage bags for places to keep yeah, it, it surprises everyone um, in that the, you know, the crisis that we have, you know, we talk about housing crisis, mm. we talk about yeah. poverty. Sure. Um, you know, if you know, the, the cost of living only goes up mm. and wages aren't. So mm. what the reality is we have families who are prioritizing the rent money and the food yeah. money, of sure. course, yeah. and they're having to make do and not have these other things. So what we're seeing as an organization is more and more families trying to find cost-effective ways to get a bed to sleep on or a mm. table to eat at. Um, so, f- you know, for uh, families that are working with community agencies that come from a cross-section of issues we have in this country, uh, it could be uh, homelessness programs, it could be from women's shelters, it could be indigenous groups, youth shelters, any social issue that we have, uh, poverty affects all of them. Uh, and that's what Furniture Bank is there for, is to make available to those agencies and their families uh, the, the goods that they need to actually assemble a home. So we talk about housing and we talk about homes and the difference between those two is the material and the mm. things that go into it. It sounds to me like it's not just individuals that no. should be aware of this. Organizations that, of course, help the, the people you're talking about, the, the, but, but as well as municipalities and the cities themselves. Yeah, we're, we're working, you know, last year uh, we kept, uh, what was it, 4 million pounds of furniture mm. uh, out of landfill because we took, you know, donors either brought it to us, because mm-hmm. there are some people who love moving furniture, mm-hmm. And the, the, there's a, a larger group who hate moving furniture and have hired our social enterprise to do the moving for them to make sure their, their gifts get for, out of their home into the, into the warehouse right. selected by families and ultimately delivered. 
Um, so we have we are working with municipalities. They look at what we're doing mm-hmm. as as good for the environment, yep. good for our tax dollars by extending yeah. landfills. Um, but it is still a surprise for them as well. Um, yeah. The the idea of if you're in a small community and a family has a fire yeah. or there's a new new member mm-hmm. to the family, um, everybody the, the the parish will say who has some furniture and then the community comes together. In a large city, uh, we if we had the space and the furniture, uh, we could support 100 families a day. Mm. Uh, so the, the actual crisis that we have is very silent. I certainly had no idea it existed six years ago mm. when I started. Uh, but the you know once you know that if you are looking right now as a listener, uh, thinking about spring cleaning mm. or downsizing, mm. and you look at a sofa and say, that's still a good sofa. I can mm-hmm. still give that to mm-hmm. someone. Mm-hmm. Furniture Bank helps you find that someone, right. and we do it in about 72 hours. Right. You know, as you say that, I cannot help but think uh, over the years uh, that I've seen in, in various municipalities, we've all, we've all seen this, the, the furniture sitting out on the, on the, on yep. the streets. Uh, there are certain municipalities, I know living in the Oakville area, that, that you know, once a year may have that, uh, they come by, pick up everything, you can just toss everything. And there's yep. some pretty good stuff out there. There I is great stuff. And, yeah. and that's you know, the walking the showroom, everything in that showroom turns over every mm. day. And yes, it, it's our rule of thumb. Our training methodology is really this simple. Mm. If what we're receiving from the community is good enough that we would give it to our own mothers and mm. our own sisters, mm. our own brothers, mm. then it goes on the floor. Because this is a very much about dignity. It's very much about sure. empowering yeah. a lot of the families that are coming out of their crisis. Yeah. They're restarting. And we want to empower them so that they are able to be as successful as they're meant to to be right. in the in the careers uh, that they're pursuing. If people are interested in finding out more, uh, you you do have a website, of course. Absolutely, it's uh, furniturebank.org. Uh, talks about what the charity does, yep. but it also offers a service. Um, you know, we are uh, we are one of Canada's larger social enterprises mm-hmm. and that the idea behind that is we operate a, a business that's linked to our charitable mandate yes since we all hate moving furniture uh, as we were talking before the call you know you how many of us want to move mm. sofas and mm. dining room tables for me it was when I was 24 and beer and pizza was involved but I'm not 24 anymore <laughs> uh, so we actually operate Is beer and pizza still on the menu <laughs> no, no sadly <laughs> Um, but the, 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 what we offer is a professional removal service. Yeah. So here in Toronto, you have lots of junking services. Yep. They will be happy to take that same sofa, yep. charge you a yep. fee, and mm-hmm. run it to the dump. Right. Um, we'll charge you the same fee, and we'll, you don't have to pay tax because you're working right. with a charity. Right. We'll get you a charitable donation because mm-hmm. that furniture is a right. donation. Yes. Uh, last week, I was just running the numbers. We had 100 households who mm-hmm. hired our firm, mm-hmm. our, our charity, mm-hmm. to come professionally remove that furniture. Um, we gave $59,000 of tax receipts last week for 1,039 mm-hmm. items of furniture, dining room tables mm-hmm. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So spring cleaning is, last, right. last week was great. Spring cleaning is definitely alive and well. Right. Uh, so for your listeners, if you have any furniture, people often say, well, what do you take? Yes. Look at where you are right now. Right. Imagine you had nothing. Right. Just the walls, just the floor, just the ceiling. Yes. Uh, anything that is reusable, uh, that is still in working order, is still mom-friendly, as I will call mm-hmm. it, um, our furniture bank can use it, and the furniture banks in Ottawa can use it. And it sounds like a lot of young families, uh, as, you, as you said, because of, uh, uh, you know, just 
I'm, I'm sure young, young families starting out, uh, single moms, uh, might have a greater need for these kind of things. It, it adds, actually, who needs is actually quite the surprise. Okay. Um, I see uh, every, I call it the A to Z, every social and demographic uh, category yes. comes through our doors. Okay. Uh, it is not one right. uh, group, and it's not one neighborhood we deliver to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was, I'm a geographer by training. Mm. The first thing I want to do is map everything and mm. where, where are the donors mm. and where are the families we're supporting. And there's a uh, misconception that the donors are there and the families that we're supporting are over there. And the reality is, is that we're all neighbors. Uh, there is no geographic uh, difference between where people are, the neighbors are really supporting our neighbors. Now, you've been talking a little bit about downsizing with some of this when people are looking to move. Certainly, that is something with an aging population. Yes, we see a great deal of. These we see days. a lot of that, and uh, you know, a lot of households they're in big, big places, moving mm-hmm. to small places, mm-hmm. and the challenge is, well, what do I do with? Right. Um, there are lots of great uh, nonprofits and charities yep. in, in the space. We're happy to take your clothing, yep. uh, but furniture in itself is there are very, very few organizations that actually can take the volumes. Sure, because, and, it, as you say, it's not like uh, canned food. It's you not can't food. put it in a bag. It's it's large stuff, yeah. uh, and it usually takes uh, uh, some some people in good physical condition that know how to handle this stuff as well. Yes, absolutely. So what we're removing from your home with our service is also coming back to our warehouse. Think of a, I'm simulating a retail environment where families will pick from what's come from the community to assemble their homes working with volunteers. We even have corporate volunteer groups in. Uh, we had our, the great folks at Salesforce. They send their employees in to actually help. Uh, they mm. work in our furniture mm. repair shop. Mm. A lot of the things we get are have oh, a, yeah. a, a, right. a small defects sure. that we can repair. So yep. we put corporate groups to work right. in the charity by helping keep right. good furniture out of landfill by repairing it yes. and then passing it back on. I just want to let everyone know you're listening to uh, Element FM. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Dan Kershaw. He is the executive director of the Furniture Bank, and we are talking about what the Furniture Bank does. It does uh, uh, just kind of what it sounds like. It will take your old furniture uh, that is... Uh, and new. And new. Oh, and new, of course. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but that is for the purpose of repurposing to other people that are in need of that. Uh, as he pointed out at the top of the interview, uh, this is a surprising thing. You know, we hear about the housing crisis. We don't really think about nope. people that are moving into these places that, that also have a need for furniture. Uh, so it is interesting to, to learn that, Dan. And the, the irony is is doing your spring, spring cleaning today mm. can actually directly impact the ho- housing and poverty crisis we have here in right. Toronto within 72 hours. I th- and that's, yeah. you are asking about surprises. Most people look at these big crises mm. uh, and say, how can I have any effect on it? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, um, you know, seeing this morning, we had a young two-year-old jumping on a sofa <laughs> with a smile like Christmas because <laughs> sure. that child at that moment didn't have a sofa. Yeah. But we sure. need good sofas. Yeah. We need good dressers. We of need course. good housewares. Of um, course. So it's, it's the need is year round. Yep. But, you know, when we, uh, when you downsize, when you move, there's a, there is some seasonality to it mm-hmm. because when it's a miserable January or February, oh, yeah. we don't want to do those things. No, of course not. It, there's a safety issue there as well. Yep. It can be slippery, uh, and I can speak to that uh, 
directly because of something I was moving years ago and uh, ended up slipping and ended up splitting two fingers wide open. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I can de definitely understand that. Um, now, the other thing, though, uh, is that when I think of this, and, and recently we did an interview with, with downsizing. Yes. But one of the things we found out, and maybe you're finding this as well, is that some people have things in storage. It's to say that we're going to storage locations yeah. quite regularly mm -hmm. because, you know, storage, the numbers are dramatic. I think right. there's the stat I saw in if you could put all can all Canadians inside of existing storage units. Like it's, there's yeah. that much surface yeah. area. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. inevitably um, you realize I don't need this anymore. <laughs> and then the question is, well, what do I do? Right. And there's many things, uh, my clothing, lots of solutions for that. Uh, but when you get to that category of furniture and housewares, uh, you know, who wants a five-year-old uh, microwave? Mm -hmm. Well, if it's in working condition, yeah. I, I can give that to a family who doesn't sure. have one. Right. Um, so th that's the the solution we're trying to play for the community, which mm -hmm. is, you know, the environment and reuse and, yeah. and circular yep. uh, is a reality in the space. Mm -hmm. And generally, until you are aware that furniture banks yeah. at scale can actually play a role in that, you're not aware that, you know, that sofa, nobody will want it. That's that's the assumption. Right. So we, we want to be there as a solution to the community. Uh, some people love uh, moving furniture, and they can bring it to us for free. Mm -hmm. um, and but many and and growing uh, don't want to downsize. Mm. Some of these downsizing sure. jobs that we did last week can take four or five hours mm. plus the transportation. Mm -hmm. um, so we're very keen to do that because the funds that you give to pay for that service, one hundred percent of those dollars go to fund the charity, the insurance, right. the gas, the rent, right, and all the things that go into. Uh, you know, processing and making right. sure those items get to the families who need it. And I'm sure, like you said, there's other costs involved uh, with housing the the furniture that you are bringing in. But also, you said you repair some of this stuff, so yeah. you, you you'll have to buy you have to buy things uh, for the repair of some of this uh, furniture. Oh, absolutely. As well. We've got a four thousand square foot uh, workshop. It, it kind of flashed back to I'm, I'm a gray haired fellow uh, to the wood wood shop days mm. that we had in mm. high school. Uh, so based on the donated materials and whatever fundraising we can do, we've got at the moment three uh, full-time staff mm. uh, working with the indigenous community, and they go to the the section of the warehouse where those the, the items that we have aren't good enough for mom, mm. uh, and it's kind of like an emergency room where we're trying to with mm. the materials repair sure. it and get right. back into the charitable stream. Right, um, and we get a lot of items that are oversized. Right that aren't going to go up a fire escape mm. Uh, mm. or aren't going to go through some of the very small alleyways. So we also yeah. work with the movie industry mm. because the prop shops oh, yeah. are sure. always looking for, do you have 1950s <laughs> linoleum chairs? <laughs> yeah. And if we have enough chairs and and we can yeah. uh, find some funding that way. So it's that's very small. Uh, every day we're seeing mm. up, up to 20 families and they're the priority. Mm. Uh, but we're trying to find different ways so that we're as self-funded as we can be. Yeah, and that's great. So if you're listening to this, you're wondering more about this. So the other thing that, that I like, uh, Dan, that you said was um, people may be saying, well, gee, why aren't you going to pick this up for free, you know? But I like what you just said. This is a charitable donation. You're going to get a, a, a charitable donation receipt uh, tax-free yes. uh, for your donation. And we untether the, the, the gift of furniture is a gift, mm -hmm. and it is a tax taxable gift. Um, the transportation piece, 
it's a service. Mm. You can hire a junker mm-hmm. and run it to the dump. That's right. your choice. Right. You can choose to put it on Kijiji. That's your mm-hmm. choice. You mm-hmm. can have your tax dollars at work and put it to the curb. That's your choice. Mm-hmm. We're offering Toronto socially and mm-hmm. most socially and environmentally responsible yeah. removal service, and we do that. Um, 340 five-star reviews on Google, yay for us. But we want to make sure that uh, as a consumer, and businesses also hire us, they can see us as a solution provider to right. the what do I do with my furniture sure. problem. Yeah, uh, Because we have the social contract with Canada to make sure we do good with those gifts. And I really like the fact that you, you have also backed up what you just said there by the fact that this is recycling. It's taking stuff out of the landfill. It doesn't end up there. It ends it's, up in someone's home, and it's it's reusing and repurposing this stuff and, and it's it's helping others uh, at the same time yeah. no it's uh, it's one of the seeing the impact of you th- you look at your dining room table and like it's just a dining room table well you're eating on the floor and that's mm. our founding story with mm-hmm. sister Anne meeting a family who was using a milk crate mm. and one pot and one pan or one uh, plate mm. and the kids were sitting on the floor and that's, that is a reality, not just 22 years ago when we started, but today. Uh, we have delivery teams that are going in every day, and the reality that we see behind those closed doors is one that we would never let our mothers or our fathers or our friends or family uh, exist in. And it's such an easy uh, solution. There are many complicated issues in this world. This yeah. is one that with the right connections and the right mix, we can actually solve so that any housing that is built mm-hmm can always become instantly a home because that family will get referred over to a furniture bank to actually assemble the things that are important to them. And as you pointed out, we're not talking about shipping this stuff overseas. We're talking about helping people right in our backyards. Here, right, yeah. And we had, you know, we had one donor who really wanted to see this in action. So mm-hmm. they hired our, our social enterprise one day. Yeah. The next day they came and met the family on the showroom floor, right. and it actually turned out to be multiple families because nice. if you downsize a whole household, oh, yeah. those goods get spread. Sure. And then the next day, she rode the trucks out for the delivery. Oh, nice. To, and I'm not, we don't do it all the no, time. No, I'm sure you don't. <laughs> but just to appreciate the life cycle yeah. that, you know, you know um, so if you go to our website, you'll see on the main page, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one, two, three, what actually happens. Yep. And there's a little video that yep. try and follows a dining room table. And right. You know, if, if, if I can ask listeners to look at, do one thing, go to the website and watch that video. Right. And that's what any furniture bank right. in North America is all about, is right. taking good items and matching it to the families who need it right. in as, as resource-efficient way as they can. And how good is that? How, how great is that to be able to help other people by doing oh. this with stuff that you're not going to be able to use anymore? That's wonderful. It's, you know, for my, we've 50, where are we? 47 full-time staff, mm. 50 regular volunteers, and about 1,600 corporate volunteers every year. Um, and we're all very blessed that mm. we can actually see, directly see an impact. We all, yeah. many of us in our later years are always looking for, you know, what what is our legacy? Yeah, what is our meaning? For sure. Um, and to know that we, you know, we can create a system that all people in Canada uh, will have a furnished right. home is right. really the mission of the charities. Yeah, uh, Dan, you gave an example of a, a young boy who was uh, jumping up and down on a sofa that he that their family safely, was, safely, safely, of course, yeah. Yes. Um, and and it was going to be received. Uh, is there a quick story you can share? You told us about a donor and followed, you know, that wanted to see it in action. What kind of what kind of um, uh, things are you getting back from the people that are receiving donations? It it's 
the stories are are endless. Like we we know we use a lot of technology to sort of track our impact. Uh, we know there's a student at Harvard right now who got her school desk mm. six years earlier mm. uh, from Furniture Bank. Mm. We know there's a young lady who's working in uh, uh, in government and. Mm. She'd fled an abusive relationship. She's the one who speaks most closely to my origin story and why mm. it's so important to make this happen. Uh, the courts were threatening to take, uh, uh, separate her children from mm. her. And it was because she was able to demonstrate that she had a supportive home, mm. an emphasis on the word home, uh, because of she had photo evidence of, right. of what she'd created in the housing. Nice. Uh, the courts allowed her to keep her family together. And she then went on to finish high university, went right. on to a graduate, and now she's on. So right. having a furniture home is a foundation. Yes. You know, you and I both woke up in a nice bed this morning, and we had all the uh, the assets. Um, so we meet we meet so many different stories from so many different yep. uh, vantage points. But yep. we're there for a moment, and then right. we're gone. Right. Uh, Dan, that's great. I, I, I thank you for that. If people want to find out more, they can go to your website. Furniturebank.org. Right, and you can find out more about donating. You can find about even uh, uh, offering your services to help out as well and yep. donate that way. Uh, and uh, don't forget, it's a charitable charitable donation. So so if you donate, if you hire the services of the Furniture Bank to come and take your furniture away, you're going to get a charitable donation for that. Yep. Um, Dan, it's been great having you in. We really Thank appreciate you, you taking the time to come in and, and tell us about the Furniture Bank, and we wish you all the best. Thank you very much for the time. All right. We're going to come back uh, with Moment of Truth right after this. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And as we have told you as well, you can download the Radio Player Canada app, and you can listen 24 hours a day, seven days a week. By just following the directions, typing in 106.5 ELMNT-FM or 95.7 ELMNT-FM, 24 hours a day, seven days a week on your device of choice. I'd like to welcome my next guest to the show, Charles Junk. He is a personal injury law firm uh, lawyer with Oatley Vigmund. That's right. And... He's here to talk about a recent uh, ruling that came down. You may be familiar or have heard about this. This has to do with recreational hockey leagues and how a, a player was injured. And they were, uh, they were then awarded uh, over $700,000 uh, by the, the player who injured them with a head injury. Their head uh, hit the ice uh, on impact of being hit by the person. And uh, and the courts ordered this uh, in return because he is injured. He he can't work the same. He can't. Uh, he has no. He can't uh, do the same things he was doing prior to that. So the impact has left him um, injured for life, basically. Absolutely. So uh, Charles, it's a pleasure to have you here. We thank you for coming in. Thanks very much for having me. Now, uh, I guess the reason why this case, uh, first of all, got the attention of everyone is the amount of money mm-hmm. that someone was on the line for. Um, it's a bit of a, I guess, a wake-up call for for uh, recreational hockey leagues. Yeah, I, I think, well, just off the bat, I don't think it's, well, this isn't the first type of case right? to yep. go across the Absolutely, courts, and it yeah. won't be the last. Of course. Um, but one of the things that does catch people's attention is that $700,000 figure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so what can you tell us about this in, in terms of, uh, you know, I guess, what are the impacts? Obviously, uh, I'm wondering, you know, how this is going to negatively impact recreational leagues just off the 
off the start, right? Uh, yeah. In terms of people, geez, I'm not going to put myself in, in harm's way of, of, of being, you know, on the line for that. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do understand that people can get insurance, but is it, uh, is it the kind of insurance that, you know, would cover this kind of, of thing totally? Yeah. Um, but I guess also, what are you telling people? What are, are you getting calls from people? Uh, we, we get calls uh, pretty frequently about sports and recreational injuries in general. Yes. Um, and what it really boils down to, and this case is no different, is um, that while when we participate in sports like mm-hmm. a pickup hockey league or mm-hmm. a pickup basketball game, mm-hmm. we inherently you know, accept risks involved of in those course. types of sports. Yep. However, you know, those risks aren't infinite. Yep. So we might go play pick, pickup hockey right now. And, uh, you know, you expect that there to be some incidental contact, obviously, mm-hmm. even if it is a non-contact leak, like yep. it was in this case. Yep. Um, what you're not expecting is people to slash you, you know, with their hockey sticks from behind, for example. Yeah. I'm not accepting that risk no. when I, you know, lace up the skates. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so in those, in those cases, judges and juries are obviously going to be able to find that mm-hmm. this other player was negligent. Mm-hmm. And if that negligence caused significant impairments like they did in this case, you know, you could have significant awards where um, if you can't work uh, and, and you need all sorts of care for the rest of your life, you know, that's when you, you see these big damages awards like the $700,000. Because mm. from what I understand, this man was fairly young, middle-aged, I believe. Yep. So if he's got, you know, 20 years worth yeah. of uh, work that sure. he can't do anymore, then... Right. Yeah. Uh, other things come to mind, and I'm not sure if you're able to answer any of, any of these questions that are popping into my head, mm-hmm. um, such as... What if the person can't pay? They're ordered to pay, but what happens then? Yeah, so in g- generally speaking, uh, obviously, you know, it's going to be unique to each person's case and the circumstances. But in situations like this, um, uh, just touching back on your earlier question, um, even if you don't have specific insurance, because most players, they're not going to go out and get mm-hmm. insurance specifically for the type of game or sport sure. that they're playing. Of course. Um, but they, er, most people have homeowners or yes. tenants insurance. Yep. Now, there's specific, you know, language in those policies. You have to be careful and read, such mm-hmm. as whether it was an intentional act. That's yep. an important provision. Right. Um, and that might, you know, uh, be grounds to exclude coverage. So you may not be insured. Mm. Um, but if it wasn't an intentional act, you may still find coverage and your insurance would indemnify or essentially step into your shoes and defend you right. in lawsuits like this. Right. And so depending on the policy and how much the policy limits are, um, you know, it could be a million, two depends on the policy, mm. then you could be protected up to that right, amount. Right. Now, in cases when you don't have insurance coverage, um, and so I'm not really sure, uh, it doesn't go into it in this case, because for the judge, um, they don't really care whether this person can pay or not. It's right. all about the finding of negligence. Yes. But I think there was a finding that this was an intentional blindside hit from yes. behind. Yes. So that's important. Of course. Because this person may not have coverage, yep. so they may personally be liable. Yes. And even if you declare bankruptcy, there's some rules and laws and regulations that protect players mm. uh, who get hurt in these types of situations where the individual still might be on the hook. Mm. Collecting that judgment is a whole different matter, right. unfortunately. Right, of course, yeah. 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 Um, now, it is interesting, uh, I guess, it, to go into a little bit of the details of this case and, mm-hmm. and how the judge uh, ruled and, and why. Right. For instance, um, I thought it was interesting, I guess, for future for future cases as mm-hmm. well from this. So um, as you pointed out, it isn't the first time that yeah. this has happened in recreational sports. You know, and the other thing comes to mind, I, I think when I, I used to play hockey, I used to play uh, soccer. I right. love soccer. Right. But I can't tell you how many times 
the ball would come at, at me and I was running and accidentally uh, slipped under my foot and okay. I end up on top of the ball and right. next thing I'm on the ground, right? Those kind of things. And, you Absolutely. know, we talk about hockey, mm-hmm. pucks can hit the, ro- the stick the wrong way, fly up, get you in the face, Absolutely. knock out a tooth. I mean, all those kind of things are yeah. just accidental that you, as you pointed out, accept, you accept by stepping onto the field. That's right. Um, so I guess what was interesting, though, is that the judge uh, said... Um, Players can't be judged according to the rules of polite social discourse when they step onto the, you know, and they're going to be in this game. Right. You are accepting a certain risk. Absolutely. Right? But it's not anything goes. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, yeah. That's the other thing that, yeah. you, you, it's just not an open... It, it's interesting because um, it's such a lawyer answer, but each case really does depend on the facts. So in, in this one... Um, even though it was a beer, quote unquote, beer league, it's a recreational, non-professional yeah. league. A lot of these players were, I believe, Ryerson University graduates who had okay. some level of experience uh, playing hockey at you know mm. significant levels. Mm. So they were all fairly experienced. They sure. all knew what they were doing. Sure, right. So the standard is a little different from total beginners who may not yep. know how to stop. Right, for example. Of course. Um, so in this case, another important thing was that it was a non-contact league. Yes. Uh, so there are a few, you know, rule, ground rules, that one being the most important. And, uh, you know, obviously this blindside hit from behind yep. while the puck was nowhere near in play. Now, yeah. those findings of, of uh, facts, um, yeah. they were significant in this case because there was a bunch of conflicting evidence from different players. Mm-hmm. Now, this case happened in 2012. Yeah. So you've got memory issues, right? right. And players thinking that they saw something. So yep. the judge in the decision, it's over. I think 100 paragraphs long. Right. But she goes through every single person's testimony and yes. evidence because there was a trial about it yep. and uh, why she found certain players' evidence to be more credible or more reliable depending on where their view was from the bench, whether they could actually see the, these players and what actually happened. So there's a whole fact-finding process that usually in, is involved in a case like this. Now, the other thing that, you know, you said it, and, and when I read it, I thought, hmm, how does this reflect in, in, in this case? You said it's a beer league, you mm-hmm. know, and right, as soon as I hear beer, yep. you think, oh, these guys are, have had a few and they're out on the ice, right? That's, the way it comes, that's <laughs> right. what comes to mind. Absolutely. And, and so you're going, hmm, well, how does that impact this mm-hmm. stuff? And, and why does it have to be called a beer league? Is that what it's called, a beer league? So, uh, again, my hockey experience <laughs> only goes up to, you know, house league. I yeah. didn't play anything <laughs> beyond that. But my impression is, you know, it's one of those pickup games. It's, mm. it's for fun. Yeah. And then you go out and have a beer with yeah. all, the, right. all the people after, right. as opposed to having a couple of beers before <laughs> the game, presumably. <laughs> but when they call it a beer league, I'm going, what? Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just thought, hmm, that's interesting. That yeah. they, they but once you add alcohol into the mix then it's a whole well, different yeah, ball game yeah. for sure right yeah. for sure uh wouldn't want to do that i don't no. think <laughs> not not <laughs> advisable <laughs> but as you you also pointed out about the 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 going through uh, everyone's testimony mm-hmm. and what's what's valuable what was reliable right but I, I thought this one was really interesting as well team loyalties mm. y- you don't hear about that too much in other cases uh which i think we probably should hear in almost any court case you know loyalties so which is it's it's interesting because it's still a recreational league you'd presume you know these players outside of the Mm. game don't really have ties to one another but um at the same time um you once you get into it it is a team sport yeah and you know you're probably you probably have your teammates back sure and you probably want to help them um and and whether you're doing it consciously or unconsciously that's right right, exactly and memories it can be a funny thing yep after all these years yeah you think you remember something 
Um, and that's why that contemporaneous evidence is so important in cases like this. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the times the referees or some league organizer will take statements from people. Sure. I'm not exactly sure if that happened in this right. case, yes. but in other cases that they will take statements where it's a significant injury. Yeah. yeah. And, and what it goes to, it's sort of a larger topic is bias, right? Oh, yeah. And there's lots sure. of bias in different types of cases, oh, right? yeah. family and friends in certain types oh, of cases yeah. where they might be more inclined to... Not that we don't see that on, on uh, 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 you know, young players' uh, uh, games where parents are in the same... <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> no bias yeah, going on there right. at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to jump in and let everyone know you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. This is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Tar- Charles Jung, and he is with the law firm Oatley Vigmond, and he's here to talk about personal injury. Specifically, we're talking about one case uh, that happened and, and got some attention because of the, uh, the amount that was mm-hmm. awarded to the gentleman in the case, right. uh, over, just over $700,000. And uh, it does bring attention to recreational sports and, and what does this mean moving forward? Uh, not that this is the only case where, where this has gone to court or with, with injury, mm-hmm. but it's the amount of money at this point that, that really got people's attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and as pointed out, uh, this probably won't be the last. Yeah, that's right. Um, and just, just touching on you know the size of the award, mm. I think it's important for a lot of people in the public and listeners to sort of understand that in a case like this, um, it might seem like a lot or extravagant, but once you kind of break no, it down, that's right. It yeah, isn't. over it isn't. over a person's working lifespan. That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. If uh, you know, let's say they're, they're earning sixty thousand dollars a year, yep, and, and you know they yep. either are reduced by half, yep, or they can't work for fifteen more years. Yep. And uh, they need all sorts of, you know, uh, care like occupational therapy or cognitive Absolutely. behavioral therapy or counseling. Yep. Because uh, a lot of the times your, you know, mood and your um, mm. personality become affected if you mm-hmm. can't work and you can't do the same things as yep. before. Right. And so all those factors are taken into account. Or hiring like this. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> we're not we're not too pleasant to deal with sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, so anyway, uh, what's your what's your takeaway then? What moving forward, looking at this and and you know uh, just looking down the road, what are your what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think. You know, it's not the type of case where it, it should, you know, um, scare you or intimidate you or prevent you from playing the sports that you love and the activities you enjoy. However, having said that, I think as all participants, uh, you know, we, we take part in you know, mm-hmm. all types of sports. I think mm-hmm. it's important for us to understand that, look, we may accept certain risks associated with these types of sports, whether yes. it's, you know, baseball, hockey, soccer, yep. basketball. Mm-hmm. Those risks, risks again, are not sure. infinite. Right, and so I think that should give everyone some, you know, mm-hmm. reprieve or assurance yep. that just because I step onto this field, it doesn't give them carte blanche to do yeah. whatever to me right. or whatever you know happens. Right. Happens. Yeah, there is going to be accountability yep. if the conduct goes outside the regular course of play, and what regular course of play means, uh, it, it's going to depend on the facts and the type of sport and the circumstances. Now, are we specifically recreational? Is there a difference between uh, youth recreational and adult recreational? From from the legal side of things, there can be because now you have minors involved. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have cases sometimes where the oversight of the parents or the league becomes much more important in those types of cases. For example, if you see a certain player continually, continually uh, making, you know, uh, poor judgment in terms of plays or mm. 
you know, conduct that mm-hmm. falls outside the regular mm-hmm. course of pay, play, mm-hmm. then the parents of that child or minor may potentially be responsible, mm. depending on, you know, the right. types of the case, sure. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, do you see more people uh, coming to you or do you know more people are, are looking at, uh, you know, taking on insurance then to to cover themselves in this area? you know quite frankly we have i haven't seen uh mm-hmm. you know an increase in that yeah. uh, regard yeah. again um generally speaking um most people don't anticipate this happening to yeah, them no of or them being on the other side of it for yep. that matter yep. um so at that point it became, becomes an investigation of their homeowners or tenants insurance and usually there is coverage but again it all depends on the facts and, you know, what the intent was and mm. what actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I will say it wouldn't be too surprised if we do see sort of an increase or more awareness of different types of policies and insurance coverages. Now, I did read that there's a fairly inexpensive insurance policy that people can get. I think what I read was like $25 for the year. That's that's right. So I'd advise people to talk to their insurance brokers if they are regularly yeah. playing in a league. For right. example, if I, you know, I'm in a hockey league that, you know, you're, you're playing through three times a night mm. and you know uh you've got lots of you know high speed you know yeah. experienced players and right. there's contact yeah. y- you never know maybe right. it's a good thing just to have it in your back mm. pocket mm-hmm. yeah for peace of mind yep yep um you know uh I, I guess the other thing is as you just pointed out this shouldn't deter people from doing the things they no. love you know uh we're at risk no matter what we do uh, stepping off the sidewalk. That's right. You know, uh, so uh, this shouldn't, uh, and it shouldn't turn people, uh, parents off from, from having their kids uh, enjoy things they want to do. No, absolutely well. not. No. It, again, it just goes back to the fact that, you know, we, we know that if, you know, uh, certain plays or conduct happens where we get hurt and mm-hmm. it's not within the normal scope of play, mm-hmm. then there's going to be accountability. Right. Um, and the courts are going to be able to do that. And so to me as a lawyer, I may be a little biased that way, but it, it demonstrates that, you know, it's not just uh, the wild, wild west once yeah. you step on the the, yeah, uh, the rink. That's only in movies. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and that's, and that, even that is fake, right? It's all, that, all exactly. fake when you, you it, see it, it in the movies. Exactly. And that stuff is, uh, it, anybody's at risk there. That's all, that's all done with that's professionals. And, yeah. and, uh, and then you come back from it. You're all okay after Maybe they that. should put disclaimers on the screen, you know, don't try this at <laughs> yeah. all, right? <laughs> they wouldn't like that much, I don't think, in Hollywood. But uh, no. uh, any other thoughts come to mind uh, when you, you you know you think of this and and that you want to you know share with with either parents or or, or people that are going to be participating in um, sports? The the only other thing is again, it's um, it's a very uh, much more prevalent. Uh, area of discussion now is, is concussions, and this is what this oh, yeah. man sustained right. for sure. And and obviously in different types of sports, you see it: soccer, uh, basketball, hockey, mm-hmm. football, especially mm-hmm. all over the news these days. Uh, but you know, when you see signs or symptoms, you know, obviously get get it checked out. You know, better safe than sorry. And if it is a significant injury where you think you know there might be something here, it never hurts to just get an a consultation with a lawyer right. or speak to someone sure. about your rights. Right. And that's my just general message. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if you can answer this uh, in terms of recreational sports. Cause I, I don't know for hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they required to wear helmets? It depends on, on the league, I think. Okay. But um, generally speaking, I haven't seen any league where they don't wear helmets. I think right. it's enforced at every level yeah. at this point. Yeah. yeah. Because you're probably thinking back, you know, two, three decades ago or even more um, helmets were, 
Yeah, I, you know, I was just going, is that <laughs> still the case now, right? No, they, they, yeah, they definitely wear helmets at yeah. most levels for sure. I mean, yeah. uh, even as we were kids, I mean, I, I lived in the country when I was a kid and I was skating outside on open rinks. And, right. And, 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 you know. Uh, Shinny. You know, all yeah. that stuff and just skating around. I mean, uh, on, on uh, ponds, you know. That's I mean, it, that, yeah. For me, I was in the country. So yeah. uh, you hit a patch of frozen ice with a with an air pocket under it. Right. You're, you're on your butt or yeah. you're hitting your head, you know well, I mean? That brings me to another point, if okay. I may. Sure. Um, so sometimes you have issues with um, the premises or, or the rink or mm. the arena. Okay. And in those cases, sometimes there may be some liability depending mm. on the condition of it. Yeah. Uh, for example, um, you know, if there isn't padding in, yes. in a basketball court. Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, people are sure. you know, yep. running up to these nets yep. and they're putting up points or layups. Right. And they run past, hit the wall, break something or a brain injury or something. Mm. Mm. You know the organizer or whoever is uh, occupying or owning those premises yes. or that arena could be liable for those types of injuries. Spoken like a lawyer, Charles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Spoken like a lawyer. And it, you know, you, you, you just uh, you know uh, reminded me of that when you're talking about the air pockets. No yeah. worries, <laughs> Charles Jung. He's a uh, lawyer with Hopefully uh, Vigmon. It's been a pleasure to have you in the studio with you us as today. Well. We we really appreciate you taking the time to come in and and share these these thoughts about this important case and and of course. Uh, being safe, uh, no matter what sport you do and, and what you do. Uh, but, but listen, folks, uh, you know, we only get, uh, as far as we know, one, one uh, life to live, so right. you should enjoy yourself as well. Right. Uh, Charles, thanks again for coming, and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me again. That's your show for today. I'm David Moses. You're listening to Element FM, and this has been Moment of Truth. We'll catch you next time. Until then, we'll see you. I also want to say nyawa, miigwech, wanishi, and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy, and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa, miigwech, and thanks for listening.